Boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up on the glorious Smith River in the beautiful state of Jefferson here on the border of Oregon and California where humanity is holding strong. We're enjoying this beautiful sunny day today. We actually been had torrential downpour for going on Noah-like weeks of, <laughs> of like basically the flood. Um, as I predicted two weeks ago. Uh, however, we did not get snow, which the kids were bummed about, but we did get a lot of a lot of rain and actually bear like two nights ago. I don't know if you remember that, but it was I actually woke up and went and checked out to make sure that uh, our house was still here. It was coming down so hard with winds and just crazy, crazy amounts of volume of water. So um, but we have sun now and uh we are looking forward to about five days of glorious sun so we can get out in the gardens and really get a lot of work done prepping for spring. We have an amazing, uh, the, the Alpha Vedic um, Permaculture Guild that's kind of a, a budding off. The uh, co-op uh, will have our first event coming up, uh, uh, our pruning event at the gardens. And actually, we already have, I didn't even tell you this, Bear, we've got um, some people from the co-op driving here from pretty far away. We even have a gentleman um, who is uh, close to your heart because he's really into biogeometry. He's staying at our, my friend's, our friend's Airbnb on the Little Jones Creek for the weekend. So uh, people... <laughs> We, they hear about one little thing we're doing, a little pruning party, and they're going to drive half the day to come see us. We're really blessed, and uh, we have so much gratitude for our amazing community. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're also taking part in Anarcha Poco this year, which is uh, a, definitely an event that I've wanted to go to for years because it's basically everything I love. It's crypto. It's anarchy. It's sovereignty. It's health and wellness. It's all the cutting edge stuff that we love, and we are finally taking part this year, albeit on the virtual tip, because it's just too hard right now to get down to Alcapoco for us. Not that we wouldn't try, but it's two weeks before Reunion Summit, which is on March 20th. So uh, Anarchapoco is March 8th through 11th, and if you do want to go to that event, you can physically go. And we actually have a discount code. If you please, if you're going to buy a ticket, use our code ALPHAVEDIC10. You get 10% off on your ticket and we will have a virtual booth there. So they have an amazing new virtual uh, software that their company they work with developed. So you can actually walk around like a little avatar at the, at the event uh, from your house and you can come visit us. We'll have live people manning that virtual booth. You can come talk to myself or Bear. Uh, we'll have our Telegram admins there. We'll have our other um co-founders from the company hanging out. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have some special offerings and some videos and stuff. And then Bear, um, actually, Dr. Lando is going to be a featured speaker on the Health and Wellness Day. Uh, so he'll be up there with Del Bigtree, Andy Kaufman, Dr. Batar, uh, and some big, big names. So that's really exciting to be involved with Jeff Berwick's uh, Dollar Vigilante um, uh, Anarchopoco and uh, some big names there as well. So uh, overall for the event. So it's um, we're really looking forward to that. And then, of course, Reunion Summit, March 20th. We're looking to launch the website uh, hopefully within a week here. Uh, the trailer is coming out really, really. Uh, it's a cool, cool event, you guys. And we have some potential big names coming on board, Bear. I haven't even told you about. We're talking to, I, I'll tell you after the show. 
let's just say, um, and we'll get. Why him am on. I always the last to know about these things? Well, because I here. I literally found out last night at like ten that Josh is working on. Let's just na- say he's the guy we wanted on AlphaCast since day one. Has to do with breathwork and cold. I'll leave it at that. And then also, oh nice. And then also, uh, uh, somebody Sweet. we're talking to who's one of a- my uh, favorite people. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's still in the works, but um, we will have him on AlphaCast. I but this year I am putting that out there. So um, today's topic is maybe the most important topic we could discuss. It's something maybe we should have started AlphaCast out with, because it, it lays the foundation for discerning truth and reality and everything that we need uh, in order to move forward. It's really the scientific method. It's it's what schooling should be. It's what really what should ground us in our day-to-day activities um, when we are interacting with people, when we're interacting with family and friends and uh, with what we discuss on the show. It is the basis for knowledge and wisdom. It's the trivium and the quadrivium. So this is going to be a show that we've been talking about for a while, and we'll be doing it from uh, a specific perspective uh, that Bear Lando, uh, Dr. Lando, will be taking us down. Uh, But we will learn to discern truth from fiction with the classical uh, trivium quadrivium system of classical logic. It has long been foretold that the final battle prior to the age of the great enlightenment would be fought on the mental plane. Make no mistake, we are in the darkest throes in the realization of this prophecy. Big tech working in conjunction with their de facto government proxies and corporate media mouthpieces have pulled out all the stops. No matter which side of the ideological divide you fancy, you are either being overtly lied to or falling victim to information omission, disinformation, counterinformation. Take heart. Though, for there is an accessible solution that the would-be controllers fear most, logic. It's for good reason that the science of critical thought, once the core of all educational curriculum, has been methodically removed from academia. Do you wonder why we find ourselves divided from each other's humanity and why seemingly intelligent people react in a childish manner when introduced to information that could well set them free? Well, it's for good reason that the great philosophers and teachers of the ages and I will say pretty much all the mystery schools, a lot of the occult, um, understood that the advancement of any civilization was directly proportionate to the capacity of its citizenry to engage in critical thought. In times past, this system of data collection, analysis, and rhetorical sharing was known as the trivium quadrivium. Today, we will go deep into, uh, we'll give some examples of how this is easy to learn and can be used within any profession or simply as your personal BS meter for greater levels of discernment. And um, before we jump into this, I just want to remind everybody, you can join us at Telegram, t.me forward slash alphavedic, t.me forward slash alphavedic. Join us on Discord at uh, uh, alphavedic.com forward slash Discord. And last, join our co-op at patreon.com forward slash alpha vedic that's where you can really get involved with us uh we've got our we just announced our next executive co-op meeting uh later this month and uh it's a great way to not only support us but get tons of insider information we do free ebooks every week and permaculture stuff health wellness all that stuff uh it's an amazing um uh way to get in touch with the Alpha Vedic lifestyle, but also um, we will be getting off Patreon too eventually. 
Uh, that's the plan for this year and getting everything on our own platform. Dr. Bear Lando, Trivium Quadrivium today. Um, where do you want to start? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, before we get started, uh, you know, we got uh, dinged by YT because uh, because of a four minute video I did. Right, I was. I forget the name of it, but there's this, uh, they're making another one of those collages of doctors all giving their opinions about, uh, you know, current events. And I was on the last one. And so this one was, uh, you know, slightly longer. So you put it up and uh, how long did it take them to take you down? Well, I, um, I put it up as an unlisted video for our Patreons thinking that would be kind of more kosher for their censors. Uh, but of course, not so literally within five minutes not even five minutes it was down and that was our first official strike believe it or not um youtube has done a very good job of shadow banning us since day one i mean we came out of the gates talking i mean basically our first few videos we're talking about trivium quadrivium we're talking about germ theory that's like was a big basis for my awakening which we'll talk a little bit about today um was seeing the hoax of germ theory and uh, so I think coming out of the gates with like a Bouchamp Pasteur, those videos and all that uh, definitely put us on their radar. And um, so I know we're being shadow bound. I, I just searched for a video that was very like direct keywords from our title for the McAfee video I was trying to share with some crypto folks. Nothing came up. Nothing came up on Cordal stuff. We've done two alpha casts on Cordal. Nothing came up. It was like one video had like seven views came up first. Um, so we're definitely being shadow banned on that horrendous platform. So I don't even care. It's kind of like, wow, I'm amazed it's our first strike, but, uh, yeah, that video can be seen now on Odyssey. It's on our Odyssey channel in its full length, and it will be in the compilation coming out with amazing physicians. I think what like Kelly Brogan's on that and, uh, Andy Kaufman and physicians from all over the world. So, um, but yeah, that's, it is what it is, man. How dare us? <laughs> okay. Trivium quadrivium. Um, you know, I've known about this for a long time, studied it, you know, years ago. It's kind of picked up trendy status like a lot of things these days. So last night I thought, all right, maybe I, bought, I better think about this, take a few notes and uh, started at it. And um, within about three minutes, I was boring myself. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, rather than, you know, I was going to do a PowerPoint, the whole thing. And, and uh, I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> so uh, I just said, forget it. We'll just do our normal thing and wing it. And yep. here's the other thing. We might do a little trivium quadrivium bashing while we're at it today. Uh, you know, the premises are, are valid, but, you know, there's another whole level to consider here. So ah. uh, forgive me in advance if we step on any... Uh, Trivium quadrivium zealots, but there's, uh, you know, we have to take that concept and take it to the next level. And um, also remember that that system, although it was part of normal curriculums and, and, you know, I had more of that a long time ago and I used to go to school and it's been systematically, you know, removed so that people just go into rote memorization and repeating and naming and that sort of thing. Um, it does allow you to get through the surface of things. And, and like, you know, we said in the introduction, you know, develop your own BS meter, 
but we're still in the same box. So the trivium quadrivium can really be a double-edged sword. And we want to discuss what that means. Yeah. Um, and and it, uh, it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. To that point, too, I mean, it's the trivium I know is actually even evolved, right? It has the classical trivium, which we'll go into, and then like the more esoteric and then like the more modern definitions that relate more to computing, which I really kind of understand with my background. But that was the thing that I, you know, I did a little research. I've, I've been in the trivium quadrivium when you first brought it up to me years ago, because I was going into homeschooling our kids and it's like, do I, I want to teach them classicism, real classicism, right? And um, I, I know where you're going with this because I had the same issue. I'm like, well, isn't this still grounded in the senses and materialism? And, and I'm thinking, but, and I want to talk about this a little bit today is like applying stuff like um, uh, the Walter Russell ideas of the grounded fulcrum in the middle of what real knowledge is, right? And how we approach that into the trivium to where we are getting data. Because as we'll go into it, it's the first step of the trivium is the data collection, is the grammar. And, and maybe there are some, there are other ideas and concepts that we can engage and interpret and integrate into the trivium that will take it to even the next level beyond the current modern definition. So... Anyways, good. Thanks for that. And I'd uh, really encourage your active participation today, Michael, because as you know, my mind kind of ping pongs around when I'm talking about something because I'm wondering all the time, okay, what level do I need to talk about this? And, you know, when you kind of see things in a certain way, you, you, it's hard to find a starting point and then to interject all the, the things that are really pertinent. But what we want to do is make it meaningful for our audience here. So, um, you know, homeschooling, maybe that's a good place to start. A lot of people are doing that right now because they don't want their kids to be indoctrinated. They want their kids to be able to think for themselves. And they're even interjecting some Rudolf Steiner kind of concepts in that, hey, let's get young kids, especially grade schoolers, out of the classroom, take some nature walks, and, and that should certainly be encouraged. But because adults, you know, we adults are indoctrinated into the matrix, so to speak, we tend to um, pass on gross limitations to our kids. So the, the point of a, nat a nature walk, for instance, instead of just reading things out of the book and, and you know, more the, the new way of education, it's nice because uh, kids just get to observe things. And that's part of the trivium. You know, in fact, it's the, it's the very first uh, part of the trivium. You don't make up your mind about anything. You just gather information. But what are the adults doing with the kids? You know, what kind of uh, discourse are we having on those nature walks? Well, that's a bird. We call it a robin and, and so forth. So that's okay. But on another level of knowing, once you name something, once you categorize it, um, you know, you're going to now create a perceptive lens with uh, lanes on each side that the kids are forever going to relate to that Robin that is going to lead them to believe that they know what a Robin is you know, the red breast and, and we know what to call it. And there's that old saying that once you name things, you can't possibly know them. So let's just start, break that apart a little bit, how we might better serve our children and ourselves. 
we're on the same nature walk. And instead of just naming it, how about over time, um, let the kids understand just through more extensive observation, uh, how does a robin build its nest? What does the male versus the female species look like? How do they differ? When do they come and go every year? Uh, what does their sound sound like to distinguish them from other birds? What do their eggs look like? Um, how about the next level? What's their personality? When you get into nature, you, you really get to know the personality, their characters, and they all have personality. We watch them every day. You know, we go out to feed the cat and first thing the, the blue jays show up to, you know, poach food. Uh, we're looking at all sorts of creatures all the time. You know, you'll see a bear just kind of meander through the property. Uh, you'll hear, a, you know, a mountain lion in the distance. You get to know everybody. They're just like people. They have personalities. So if you don't know that character, and we say the same thing for plants, they all have personalities. How are you going to know that once you just name it and think that, oh, I know what that is. It's a robin. Well, you don't know much at all, but let's take it a step deeper, which is really where I want to go today. There's another side of the equation that we always talk about, you know, in, in our scientific community, in our educational curriculums, again, it's about naming and uh, really repeating what other people tell us. And that's what we call more of a, a quantitative side of you know, and, and that's okay. It has its place, but there's a whole qualitative side that uh, requires us to tune in on a whole different level and less with just a mental process. So the real trivium quadrivium should incorporate uh, a methodology, which I haven't seen in any discourses I've seen about, you know, the system that would help kids and adults alike really develop the knack to see between the lines. And like Rudolf Steiner said, be able to perceive with our 12 real senses rather than just the five outer senses, which are just replicating um, electrical events, you know, through the polarization, it creates a polarity registers on the sensory apparatus. And then from day one, as we're toddlers, we're taught that when you see that, this means this. And so what we understand now and what we want to really uh, drive home is our entire reality is nothing but perception. That's all it is. So why set the limits on our perception, even on our five physical senses, let alone have an educational system, no matter what we call it, classical logic or the otherwise, that is actually going to prevent people from developing the knack of seeing the qualitative side of things, which is, you know, at least as real as the other side. Yeah. So let's take the Robin example. Not that long ago, indigenous people, if you had an animal cross your path, you understood that the universe was a fabrication of our own perception. And that all the actors in our world, when we're tuning in on that level, are constantly communicating with us. So that animal that just comes into our focus, well, it's not like, oh, there's a robin. Well, no, that robin or whatever other animal 
represents an archetype. And that archetype embodies human behavioral attributes. So now if I see a Robin, I'm not mentally going through all the categories of things I know about a Robin, even if I've taken effort to go beyond the name, but I'm going to have an active communication where I'm saying, well, what is this telling me? And if you understand the character of the bird, the archetype that they re represent for humankind, then you're going to have a very, um, a very specific communication as far as something that you need to look at in your own life. Uh, a nice message. Again, indigenous folks and a lot of us these days are starting to understand there's nothing random in the universe. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as the big bang. Uh, there's no such thing as shit happens. Everything is purposeful, including a squirrel running in front of you. And if people are really astute and not just in their mentals, like we've been trained to do, especially in our culture, you're going to have a wonderfully enriched life. You're going to learn infinitely and you're going to be telegraphed ahead of time of things that you better pay attention to, or you might benefit by paying attention. Any comments, Michael? I mean, a hundred here. What we're talking about is the magical nature of the universe or this realm. And what's beautiful about the quadrivium and uh there's a wonderful book that we have by um God, what is his name it's on our book list uh it's the quadrivium and the trivium books that we have on there and they discuss and we'll get into the quadrivium astronomy side and the music side or the harmonics and what you're talking about and how everything is connected we're talking about causation here and there is no coincidence or accidents right there's no coincidence and it's kind of the realm of magic, but it's what you're saying. There's a reason why that squirrel is going ahead of you in the path, or there's a reason why, um, uh, you know, the bird drops down and starts singing right next to you at, uh, on the tree, which we've all had that experience, right? Where it almost feels like, is this bird communicating with me? You know, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience, but I feel like I have it all the time. Um, and that is something that, while we say the trivium is, you know, the empirical method, what the true ancient, you know, uh, foundations of this was really what we consider now, I guess, to be magic, but it really is the nature of reality. So um, this is all very powerful things. And as you said, it really does enrich your life when you can start looking at the world in this way. Yeah. And magic is just uh, misunderstood physics. Yep. It's not mystical. And of course, the wor work of Walter Russell that we always talk about will kind of give our left brain some food for thought to maybe make sense out of why that's actually so. I've had birds land on me on numerous occasions. Remember uh, one time, a long time ago, I was outside and I wasn't in my brain. I just wasn't thinking. And this really cool little bird, it had a, like a green breast and really pretty wings. And it just sort of landed on the ground. And I was actually uh, down in, you know, our last place in Petrolia. And um, it was by the side of our barn. 
And I just looked at it and without thinking, I reached down and picked it up and put it on my hand. And I was just kind of talking to it. And all of a sudden my mentals <laughs> wow. got going and, uh, and it flew away because I, you know, all of a sudden it was incongruous to past learning and experience. It's like, wait a minute, why yeah. isn't this bird just freaked out? Yeah. And, um, anyway, and, and actually having them land on me, but you have to be in that different state and nature will react to you in much different ways when you're tuned in because they know if you're a friend or foe. Yeah. And you, you kind of hit the na- head on the nail there, the nail on the head, <laughs> um, with the, you went to your mental state and then the bird flew away, right? You were in the zone, you were, uh, tapped in to that, that center fulcrum. And then that bird, you were nature and that bird then was integrated with you. And, and I, there, there's something that like, uh, Matthew's mentioning here in the chat about, uh, to see the magic requires childlike innocence, I think. Uh, and then he has a question here, which we could get to, but I bring this up with my yeah. bird experience real quick. And I was, <laughs> when I was six years old, I was in the, my backyard in just suburbia in orange County. And I was doing my usual living in my imagination and a hummingbird was flying around me. And this hummingbird, I swear to God, came up and put its little beak right up my nose. And it was the weirdest thing. It was like testing, you know, hey, you got a little something up there for me. And people go, no way did that happen. I swear to God that happened. And it was just, I was just inside. I was like a tree. I was the flower. I was just out there. And that hummingbird fully integrated and came to say hi. So, um, but as Matthew says, any recommendations to find that again after someone lost that innocence? And I think this is the way the trivium quadrivium is part of that is is doing the practice and integrating this stuff because it opens you up to taking data in and and seeing the wonder of the world like a kid does. Okay, so maybe a good segue into actual trivium quadrivium. Yeah. And you brought up computer. So, uh, by the way, Michael, I see... um, you know, my picture of you, there's a little kind of in and out of my, is my voice trailing? Are we having satellite problems today? You're good so far. I'll let you know on chat here on okay. Zoom if we have any issues, but you're, you're good. Maybe it was just a glitch in the if matrix. It, yeah. You okay. know, the little, the little, um, gremlins are definitely trying to mess with us all the time. So go ahead though. Ah, little pecker heads. All right. So, um, let's take a computer analogy and this is uh, the trivium part now the trivium and the quadrivium obviously it's three and four seven so this was the basis of what they called the seven liberal arts and part of uh, old school liberal art education and that's the way i was uh educated you know i came up with nuns and priests back in the 50s and they were definitely old school and uh even though i'm still a recovering catholic uh, you know, they did give a much superior education. You know, we learned Latin. We, you know, we really learned how to think. You had to write till your hand, you know, fell asleep. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't this nonsense of just repeating things. You had yeah. to justify We both, we both share that background too, Bear, because as people know yeah. that listen to our show, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school by the Servite Friars, and they're old school too. And that was that same thing, right? It was like logic and philosophy was like a huge foundation. 
Yeah. You know, by the way, uh, I know Catholicism is getting um, a lot of bad rap this, these days and some of it very justifiable. And of course, especially when it goes to the Vatican, when you have devil worshipers, you know, in the, in the papacy. But, um, you know, my experience growing up in a Latin Catholic family and going through 12 years of um, Catholic school, I'd say was actually very wonderful. Uh, the Catholicism, it wasn't the new Catholicism, you know, you what you had to go to church, which I hated, but, you know, you, you endured it. But, you know, once you're in there, it was uh, it did kind of impose a sense of magic and something that, you know, existed, you know, beyond just a human realm. And there was a lot of ritual and pageantry. And, you know, I got to know, uh, you know, obviously a lot of priests and nuns firsthand, never got abused, never even got a hint at it. Same here. Um, you know, I actually, uh, my family, we actually have a direct lineage with uh, a Pope. So uh, when you go to Italy, you know, talk to my ancestors, they're still really proud of the fact that, you know, we, we have that in our family line. You're, you're, so control, I, you're controlled up. You're controlled opposition, Bear. You are one of the bloodlines. Wow. I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I've got some nasties in my DNA because of that. I don't know. So I have no idea if this was, guy was a white hat or a black hat. But in, anyway, it is what it is. But I had a great time and, you know, made uh, lifelong um, endearing friendships. You know, I, I used to, even in high school, go to the old convent and volunteer time. I never told my friends about it, but the mother superior became like my grandmother. I loved her to death. And, you know, they taught us French from, uh, you know, day one, first grade, all the way through high school. So good education, uh, you know, and I'd go up there and, you know, and, and hang out with them. And, and it was a wonderful experience. So anyway, that's a positive. Well, and, and, and I'll say this too, my education at uh, my high school blew away going to UC. I went to, I, I went to private Catholic school my whole life until, and I almost went to Notre Dame. I almost did the whole ride. Uh, but I went out and checked out the campus and it was in the middle of Indiana. And I was like, oh God, I got, I need a break. So I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara and I was able to sleep through that coursework. It was such a joke. Um, my first, my fall semester, I had a 4.0 with like, I was like the only one in class. People were looking at me weird, like, whoa, who's this kid? Because I was coming from that really grounded um trivium quadrivium based logic based education from the 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 friars and the sisters uh, and um you know i had like an english uh, uh ap english teacher at servite who was taught directly by tolkien jr tolkien mr cotton who at that time was in his 80s and and was so old school and hardcore we had to memorize um like old middle english uh verses and stuff from beowulf and, you know, like that was where we were coming from. And then you go to UC Santa Barbara and it was all like postmodernism, like just garbage, not based in truth. And that's something we can talk about a little bit today is the nature of truth, universal truth. There is universal truth. And we are now being forced down the pipelines of postmodernism where there says there is no truth. Uh, it's all based on the individualization of truth. Um, and so anyways, um, you know, yes, Catholicism gets a bad rap. There's movies that have come out that were Oscar winning, you know, best picture films about 
the tr the just disgusting nature, but we know inversion, the disgusting nature of the priests and all that stuff. But we know inversion gets everywhere. It gets into all systems and all and whether the Catholic Church from the top down is an inverted satanic cult that is used to control the world, probably. But that still, the point is doesn't mean that there aren't good elements to everything. And um, you know, it, for me, same thing. Never had an issue with any kind of weirdness. I was an altar server for God eight years. I was like the bishop came. I was the, the guy they chose. I was like the on the all-star team, went out there to that cathedral in Orange County and you know, did the big mass with the bishop. Uh, um, um, forgot the bishop from LA that came up. Anyways, never anything weird. Uh, in terms of, you know, that stuff. However, I was always tripping out during mass. I was like, what is this weird thing? The blood of Christ and the eat of Jesus. And I'd like fall asleep. And I was just always like so bored and so not into it. But I did it because it was the cultural norm of my family, you know, Irish Catholic. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, anyways. And um, I did altar boy duty as well, except I, I have to confess I got kicked off in the seventh grade because uh, me and my buddy, you know, were doing the prep before mass and you know how you fill the cruets with wine and everything. <laughs> and Father Gleason walked in, right? We were both chugging wine. <laughs> that was crazy. So uh, that ended my altar boy career. <laughs> okay. Sorry for the segue, but it, but it does uh, fit into our whole narrative of classical logic because that's the way they schooled us. That's the way they were schooled. So I was happy to get that, uh, you know, that old kind of uh, system. So let's take the computer analogy. Uh, very simple. Trivium can, um, can be summarized in three words, maybe four. Data input, processing, and output. That's mm -hmm. all it is. And a computer analogy is perfect. So um, if we want to expound on that, we can think of uh, the first uh, part as far as data input. In the classical system, that's called grammar. Now, we can also call grammar the art of symbology. Hmm. This is where we start to get in trouble because even though we're assessing on our own, not making up our mind or having any opinions or listening to anybody else, we are uh, creating a data bank based on symbology. This we'll call words, letters of the alphabet, and it's abstract. And so right there, we sever ourselves from reality and we're in fiction land. Yeah, because so, we're, we're dealing with language. Exactly. And that can be um, useful, you know, if you're dealing within the fiction so that you can see your way through the fiction within the fiction, so to speak. But on your own, you have to realize, well, you're playing a game and you're still in the same box. So symbology or um, the mechanics of language, we'll say. So that's the first step. And, you know, in my system of treating people, you know, the, the medical system I put together that uses uh, many modalities and looks at things comprehensively, that is the first step. You use all these things to gather information. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's I listen. Data collect. I was just going to say it's the data yeah. collecting. 
Thank you. Um, the next step. Uh, well, can in I the classical just system, can I just say one thing, Bear, about the data please. collection? No, please. Uh, coming from uh, somebody who's gone down all the uh, conspiracy uh, pipelines, you know, for years. Um, I mm -hmm. think uh, for me, the um, we're uh, we're living in now a world of unlike in the past, even when I was a kid, um, where we have an overabundance of junk data, where most of it is junk. And, you know, especially with the junk conspiracy stuff out there. And now, while we're maybe in one of the greatest times for being able to assert or to, to get data thanks to the internet, because of centralization and the controllers knowing this, um, it's just like going back to the, the Catholic Church and controlling um, uh, information through Latin in the, in the Middle Ages when, when those who spoke the other classical languages like English and French and German that didn't know Latin couldn't access that until the printing press. And, and so it's the same thing now, where, but in now people don't have that awareness because it's just so in your face, like you could just jump on your phone and immediately you have your Apple News, right? That's just shoving you all this data. And we'll get into the next, I wanted to prelude this before the next phase because the, the data collection is so important and how we do it. And we, we have to remove belief right? We have to re remove the next step. So the next step will be how we process it. We can't be processing until we get as much data and always taking data in. But how do we do that in a world where we're, we're overwhelmed with data now? So that's the, mm -hmm. that's the tricky part of where we're in now. It's like we have so much hitting us that I think we have neurological issues with many people where they have too much data hitting them because they're on their phone all day. So this is where the trivium has issues. Where we're how we kind of started the the alpha cast this alpha cast off with is that we need to move beyond the trivium a bit, and this gets into Walter Russell. This gets into the um, the more kind of uh, spiritual elements, right, of knowing truth inside us and the heart, math, and all that stuff. But yeah, the data collection, doing that in a way where we remove all the lenses of our perception, of our belief systems, and just take it in. And that's something we see as a problem with like in Facebook world, where we have all these biases and all these um, uh, uh, basically people staying in their own box and just looking for uh, the data that is already in their, um, their idea of what reality is and not open to new data. That's called you know, conspiracy, or that's called, um, uh, you know, the, what Mr. Uh, uh, Orange Hair called, um, you know, fake news, right? <laughs> and so what is the fake news? What's not the fake news? This is where, where we'll go down these lines. But this first step is just take it all in. I say take it all in. And what's interesting that the world right now, the controllers are saying, you, you're not allowed to take it in. It's dangerous to take in alternative data right? You're only allowed to take in certain kinds of data. When no, in a true free world, in a, in a, in with free speech, with the, you know, supposed first amendment, right? The whole point is that we should, in order to be an advanced people and advanced consciousness, we need to have access to all the data, no matter how crazy it is here or how mainstream it is, you should be able to take that all in and always be taking that in because that is the first and most important step. I would say, of the trivium and knowing truth and knowing causality. 
And what the sociopaths have very successfully done is they have programmed us to self-censor our intake of data along certain avenues where some people won't even go there because they have a preconceived notion that that's all BS. They've also been very artful in attaching emotional content to certain types of data that trigger a reaction and shut off our normal ability to analyze and remain impartial. So it's, it's really a science and that's where we find ourselves today. That's why when you try to just reason with somebody with real information that, hey, you might wanna look at this, not trying to change your mind, but just trying to have a pleasant discourse and elevate the conversation and find commonality between two sentient beings, just boom, you're shut down. And then we go into the area of logical fallacies, which we'll get into because the whole point of the trivium quadrivium is to be able to see through logical fallacies. And if you watch talking heads on television, or if you watch politicians, I mean, within a matter of moments, they just threw about 10 logical fallacies at you and the average person can't see through them. The trivium quadrivium is to help us see through that. But again, we're seeing the fiction within the fiction. So we want to take it to another level where we get out of all fictions. Hopefully we'll have time to get into that a little bit. And the problem, so, um, the problem one more problem too with the grammar thing is the language thing, which we know we speak, our current English is like the dog language, right? It's like the, it, it's so reduced from the original um, symbology, the original knowledge, which is the step one too, the esoteric trivium, that's step one knowledge which is yeah. the knowing and that's why catholic school back in the day taught latin or even greek because i think to truly understand a lot of this uh the real um uh factual you know that word fact is a triggering word but the uh reading you know the ancient texts and stuff that uh, were grounded in a lot of reality were in those languages and they've been now just completely um delineated into uh, these other modern languages that aren't getting us the true information we need. Um, so no understanding how the spellcraft works with language and actually learning how to discern that through. I mean, that's a whole other topic. We had Marty Leeds on the show. Uh, Marty, thanks actually for the contribution today on DLive. Uh, he's, he's really good at understanding that. And like you were just on Crow 777, they, they talk about language all the time and breaking down the spellcraft of the word. And that's just something that we need to keep in mind too, is like literally the data that we're bringing in is uh, in this, we have to filter that through even just the very language that we think in. Because we think if you're speaking English, you think in those in that language. So um, oh, this gets really trippy if you really start breaking it down. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, Latin is essential because uh, there's no way you can effectively decipher words without it since most words are, you know, uh, you know, have their roots there. So to this day, you know, I, I had Latin like you, you know, all the way through grammar school, high school, uh, you know, pre-med, medical school. And which you, um, when I'm confronted with a word and I don't know the meaning of it, I just simply look at it and nine times out of 10, I can say, oh, that means something like this because I understand the roots of it. And if you don't know that, 
uh, you can really, you know, be led astray a lot easier because like all the other forms of inversion that we're confronted with, words that used to mean one thing now are taught to mean another thing. So that's part of classical education. So uh, the processing part, let's talk about that logic is what we'll call it. So we have grammar, data collection. We have logic, which is uh, the analysis part of things. And um, you could call this the art of thinking. Mm, yep. And it really is an art. But again, if you're thinking in the same box based on looking at the world through a particular perceptive lens that has been passed on to you with the collective, you'll be more adept for sure navigating through the tomfoolery, but you still will never get to that place where you see between the cracks and understand the reality that this is all a simulation of our own making. And I, and I wanna qualify that when we make comments like that, we're never um, taking the equator, uh, the, the creator out of the equation. We always recognize that there is a hierarchy of intelligence and we have the privilege to work within those larger creative patterns, but it does require many in-depth levels of logic to be able to perceive those patterns, which is not possible just with classical trivium quadrivium. Again, it takes it to another level so that now we can really understand to a, a, a greater depth of why we're making this journey of the soul through the simulation in the first place and get the most out of it. And it has to, so, it does come down to ahead. speaking of the soul, uh, dealing with the dark night of the soul, dealing with, you're talked about archetypes, almost Jungian archetypes earlier with the bird, but um, your shadow archetype. And, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it goes in order for you and uh, to really use logic, you have to really know yourself and know, like get all the noise out of the way, right? So that you can be analytical and not be driven by emotion or belief. Uh, and so it comes down to doing the personal work. And so it is beyond trivium and quadrivium. It's a fully holistic encompassing uh you know, narrative about who you are and as infinite consciousness. So there's a lot to be taken in with step two. And I know this step two also is where the quadrivium comes in, quadrivium comes into, right? This is when you start applying the four aspects of the quadrivium. Yeah, uh, interesting comment. And uh, I guess what we're getting at here is we need a new version or a rethinking of the classical trivium quadrivium, we need an alchemical trivium quadrivium. Mm. And, you know, for instance, we're talking about soul. Well, that's the sulfur. That's what we, you know, recognize in our, you know, laboratory procedures and, and so forth. And it really is that element or that characteristic of the Trinity. And that Trinity, you know, uh, you know, that we learned in Catholicism goes much, much deeper on many levels. And we could talk many podcasts just about that. So the um, 
Rhetoric is the third part of the rung of the trivium. Oh, I, I was about to make a comment. If, um, well, let's, let's go into rhetoric first. Uh, rhetoric is the output. So now we've collected data, we've analyzed it, and that's asking why, coming to our own conclusions by ourselves, making up our own mind, which is a revolutionary act these days. And then when we come to some, what we think is, you know, conclusions that are justified by our own experience and, and examination, then we share it with others. And that's what you and I are doing here today, Michael. That's what the internet's about. It's the rhetoric component of classical logic. It's the output. Mm -hmm. So it's the art of communication mm -hmm. or the application of language, the application of those abstract symbols and methods of communication that we were talking about in step one in data collection. Now, you, you are talking about how the quadrivium comes in. This is the second thing I have, or I take issue with trivium, quadrivium, as it's taught on a more superficial level. You can't separate the parts. Now, as an exercise, we have a systematic, systematic approach, and that's good. That systematic approach allows us just to, rather than just hearing and remote and wrote uh, repeating and conforming to opinions that are common because they're in vogue. It's, it's a good start in getting out of groupthink. But the deeper you go into any subject matter, I don't care what it is, there gets to a point where you see a unified whole and the, the light bulb comes on that our separating the parts for analysis is just a game. It's a mental construct. Again, it's another fiction. So when I default back to my system of medicine as an analogy, I am data collecting in many different levels, but simultaneously I'm percolating because you can't separate you know, your own consciousness. And you see how, you know, all, uh, let's just say seven aspects of uh, the so-called liberal arts should be operating simultaneously, even though you've developed a way of kind of, you know, approaching it within the system. I think that's uh, the, first... the human way of, of, of trying to see it in time, right? Because we always like to see things in time. But where you're going is like 5D on this. You're going like next level on uh, how it's all should be going it together where our 3D mind likes to see it where you go first step trivium, second step, you know, data collection then processing. And while processing, you do the arithmetic, then you do the geometry, then you do the harmonics, then you do the um, astronomy, then you do the output. What you're saying is it's all <laughs> like together. Yeah. For instance, in any art form, whether you're a musician, an artist, you know, you learn the skills, uh, you know, in my doctoring, I had to learn certain skills so that they were just rote. You don't no longer have to think about it. And just like a musician, a good musician, the music flows 
through a neurological encoding that you don't have to think about anymore. It's the same thing with trivium quadrivium. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's that's a, a powerful antecedent uh, or antidote to uh, excuse me the antidote to the current uh, scientism, because the current modality of scientism has become very rigid in its materialistic step by step process, and of course we know what they are as masters of rhetoric, right? Because they don't really do the first step the correct way, and they definitely don't do the second step the correct way. But they also then make everybody, as you're taught in school, is like they, they get away from that maestro idea of knowing. Instead, they say, you must go through this and look to authority, and it's all step by step by step. So um, that is the, um, the pitfalls of this type of thinking. That, and you were really hitting on the head. It's yeah. like the great masters that we know, like Amadeus Mozart, who was a genius from birth, right? Why is that? Like what, how do we explain these folks that just come out of the gate? Do, 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 you know, they haven't even done the data collection yet. Well, they know how to get direct downloads. <laughs> and uh, when you understand how that's not only possible, but the way we should be operating, uh, then it makes traditional schooling, even classical logic, uh, pretty archaic in comparison. But that's yeah. the capacity we all have. That's where we're going. And I, I'm sure all of us, I certainly have those experiences myself where, you know, you're wandering around and all of a sudden just stuff occurs to you. You know, where's that come from? Well, I have some good ideas about it, but it doesn't even matter. It happens. So, you know, uh, this system of logic, if you look at it again on more of the surface level, like I see, you know, people talking about it on the internet these days, it's, it's kind of like a person who has had maybe no discipline in their lifestyle and they read about a diet. So they said, Hey, I got to change my ways to do a diet. Now I don't believe in diets, you know, because again, you're in, in a, in a box and you, you're right or wrong. And, and, but because you've ne maybe never, um, had any kind of uh, consciousness about what you put in your mouth. Now, for the first time, you're paying attention. And even if that diet's not that good, or even maybe even kind of stupid or not what your body needs to serve its true idiosyncrasies, you get results just for this very fact that you're actually paying attention and the body says, geez, thanks. It's the same thing with this level of logic. You know, once you um, get into it, it's a, it's a wonderful stepping stone where you are able to sit back once you understand how to do everything we're talking about. And then through that recognized common fallacies that you see the, um, you know, the mockingbird press and, you know, and everybody else that's constantly, you know, program, program, um, you know, it, it really is a good first step, but just like a diet, that day is going to come where it doesn't work that great for you. And you realize, wow, there's another level where I need to go because there's games within games here. How do you get there? That's where the qualitative side of measurement that we always talk about, you know, within science comes in. And that's where the classical uh, trivium quadrivium comes in. You know, we have to remember that this system has its roots, classical logic, uh, going back to Pythagoras, you know, before that, but we'll just talk about, you know, what we think of as Western logic. And, and I learned this, uh, you know, in graduate school, I had to take logic and, 
we um, had to learn how to take sentences and do um, a sort of dimensional analysis. Uh, that's not the right term because dimensional analysis is more of looking at you know, things from more of a mathematical perspective, but you do that dimensional analysis in a way where you're able to recognize certain things in verbal constructs and create an equation of sorts and things that have to add up. Uh, David Wynn Miller, who we've talked about with quantum language, he did kind of that, but a bit different again, because it was more, you know, giving weight to certain sorts of grammatical constructs in different ways, you know, prepositions versus adverbs and things like that. But, you know, in uh, classical logic, you had to, you know, kind of deconstruct things and look at them and say, yeah, that really doesn't make sense or no, no. It, it, it adds up. You literally so you did can take uh, classical logic. You literally did equa equations of logic there. I yeah. took it too uh, in, mm -hmm. at UC and yeah. I hate, I actually hated it, but um, it was difficult. And I know you, you've, we've talked about this before, you enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I used uh, to love that. Yeah, I, I maybe it was my teacher, but um, but that was it. You had to like balance the equation, right? Of the the logical mm -hmm. theorem mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I actually took that freshman year, sophomore or freshman second quarter at, at UC when all mm -hmm. I want to do is be like exploring my consciousness and partying, and now I'm having to go to class and like get. But um, I got an A in it still. Yeah, but I it was I tough. know uh, I know exactly what you were exploring in uh, Isla Vista at UCSB there. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Okay, because my kids went there too. <laughs> That's where I met. Uh, I don't know son. why the hell I uh, paid the tuition and everything for all those years when I knew it was just like party one hundred and one. And surf, they had a skate. good surf break there, and I used to surf with them, uh, you know, north of the university there. So I enjoyed it too. Oh, Devereaux. Okay, so Devereaux um, was awesome. Yeah. Where were we here? We're talking about the roots of classical logic, going back to Pythagoras. Now. You know, Pythagoras, if you study him a little bit, he disappeared for 20 years and studied in the temples of Egypt. Mm. Now, Perfect. when I'm studying classical logic these days, I'm really not getting information through those channels about what the heck he learned in those uh, temples. In fact, people like Pythagoras that were invited in to those levels of learning had uh, strict non-disclosure agreements, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking, we're basically so we talking to, the esoteric here. Well, esoteric until you understand the physics. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by esoteric is just the hidden knowledge that he ha he right. went to versus, you know, the more uh, mainstream stuff that was out there at that time. And now it's become, what's funny is even probably what was esoteric now was probably very much, what's the opposite of exoteric? was exoteric then and probably what was esoteric now is lost to us now yeah. for all we know who knows but anyways um and the egyptians probably got that from the atlanteans the atlanteans probably got that from the mu mu people got that from uh the who knows the ancient saharans uh the saharan desert who got that this could go back millions of years well, the, the process also goes in reverse. Much of even what I knew in early life, you know, different levels of information I was exposed to, let alone people 100 years ago uh, that, you know, was uh, accepted information. Now that's become esoteric. Yeah. And we have terms for that, like conspiracy theories and so forth. <laughs> 
So, okay, let's just jump into the quadrivium. We'll keep it uh, on the surface to begin with, and we'll just throw out the terms arithmetic. So arithmetic is the first of the four pillars of learning. Now in the classical system, this was considered like graduate school because you had to master the trivium first. But then once you gathered your information, the purpose of the quadrivium was to give you the tools, the so-called science-based tools to make better sense of it once you got to that second logic analytical processing stage of things. So arithmetic, uh, you could liken to just a point, you know, a single point. Then the, the second pillar is geometry where it takes on three dimensions or you're looking at that, the spatial uh, relationships of that point that you're studying in arithmetic. And um, then you have the music, which is understanding um, how these things uh, operate when you put them in repetitious cycles. You know, and music, of course, is about frequencies and, and you know, all the things that make music what it is. And I would argue to this day, in fact, if I was starting over and I wanted a good education, I would have uh, cooperated with my mother when I was nine years old and practiced at piano. She was she was an amazing lady. You know, she had the, this library. She was extremely well read and she could play the piano we had the piano out in the garage so she was trying to sit me down all the time and i was like no freaking way you know i want to be outside well so, that's, that's music, funny I you mentioned that because my my nine-year-old uh, has started uh piano lessons and he loves it and he just oh, we, good, even, we don't even good. have to bug miles to to practice he just jumps on the piano and yeah. plays and yeah, one thing it's um, as B Strut says here: numbers and time is music, but it's also ratios, it's harmonics, it's a, it, it, oh, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole ball of wax. It's the relative everything. Yeah, music, aspect, the relative yeah. aspect, and it's uh, right, and it's no coincidence that music is no longer part of the regular curriculum either. You know, we yep. used to have music class every day, so music is so important. So that's why it was part you know, one of the four pillars of classical logic, the quadrivium. Uh, the other thing is astronomy. And, you know, if you want to get a little bit deeper, well, astronomy, you could say, well, you're looking at, uh, you know, all of the elements around you, you know, whether those uh, uh, stellar elements as we think of them are within a dome <laughs> or whether they're circulating around us, it doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, because what you're able to do is get that uh, basic principle of hermetic science, which is as above, so below. And when you're looking at things it, in that direction, you see a lot of parallels on the ground. Yeah. And um, well, the original, yeah. the original quadrivium was uh, based on Ptolemy, right? That told uh, that Ptolemy said uh, that, well, in classic, in the classical context we're talking about right now we know it goes way beyond that to probably anunnaki or who knows <laughs> whatever, whatever framework you want to see this to the the angels to uh the ancients uh pre-atlantis whatever but what we learn in classical quadrivium from what my studies you know is the ptolemaic um astronomy was that the earth was center and it was the sky clock it was the sky and was moving right and it was just a perspective. It was a mm -hmm. perspective of relationships to move to the movement 
of objects. And, and, and then of course, Copernicus came and, and Galileo and they turned that on over in the head. And we know a lot of that had to do with power and had to do with systems and in politics. But in the end, even Einstein said, as you correctly said, it's just perspective. Either way can work. Um, it's just perspective of, of these relationships. Yeah. And everything that we see with our five senses or experience with our five senses, it's all perspective. What if you were dropped down into a human spacesuit and were never encoded with uh, the ability to decipher what a train in the distance looks like, very small, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, roaring by you and it's huge. I mean, you'd be thinking you're having a psychedelic experience or something. So everything that we think is just common occurrences, they're common to us because we've been taught how to have a certain perspective in order to interpret them. Okay. So why don't we uh, take a moment and channel Walter Russell here and see what he would say about the quadrivium. Beautiful. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Okay. This, uh, this right. has piqued my interest. <laughs> okay. And, and help me out here because, you know, trying to articulate things and, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's a little challenging. Um, so let's take mathematics. You have a point of singularity. Now, Walter Russell would, I believe, call that pure consciousness. Or uh, stillness. Uh, still, a still light, a still white light. Okay, good. Yeah. Now we have geometry that point of stillness, that singularity of consciousness has a thought because only consciousness can think. And of course, people are starting to realize these days that thoughts are things and they have consequences, but a thought is actually an electrical event. And the only purpose for thought is to create a simulation because it's not real but it does create an electrical simulation by the way of polarizing to create vibrations that are highly nuanced that you can, you know, really jump down that rabbit hole with uh, Walter Russell and understand how those nuancings, you know, that are uh, created by our intent, uh, you know, our emotional uh, intensity, the um, uh, just our belief systems, those will then translate into those electrical vectors to create the myriad of intense experience that you know, reports back to us every day through our senses. So you have the singularity of the consciousness, you have a thought which you could think of as geometry to make that singularity actually come alive within the simulation. And now here's um, where it gets a little, a little tricky. There's, you know, we talk about yin and yang in the Asian medicine. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I really jumped into Walter Russell where I realized, oh, they're talking about geometry. Hmm. So the two basic geometric forms are the cube and the sphere. The cube is a construct. It's a, it's a, a component of a waveform. And it basically creates a space. You could think of it as maybe the yang that, um, you know, is a thought process. And of course, we know that our ideas really don't uh, pop into the simulation unless we put a little elbow grease or a little passion behind it. 
And, you know, that's where the sphere comes in. So we're talking about these electrical vectors that polarize through thought, right? So, so we have the geometric cube. And, and you're saying the cube is the cube is kind of the masculine and the left and then the brain and then the sphere is the feminine and the, the right. Is that? Yeah, I, I think we could go there. Sure. Okay. And so now as the electrical vectors enter the cube, and now imagine you're standing inside of a cube. How many sides are you looking at? There's above, below, four sides. That's six sides, right? Mm -hmm. Now you enter with your consciousness because you want to be an active participant within the simulation. That's where we individualize within consciousness. And if we are going to be a stick figure within the simulation, that's a three-dimensional affair. We have an X, Y, Z access. And as we enter that, as the director of our experience within that cube, working with those electrical forces, bouncing off six sides, that adds another three dimensions. That's nine in all. That's the sacred three times three. Mm -hmm. Again, we could get deep into the Trinity on all sorts of levels and understand what the tr Trinity really means. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. So now we have nine elements, uh, things that Tesla talked about, the power, the magic of nine, right? And all of this goes back to those, you know, primal forces emanating originally from the Godhead, which is pure consciousness. So now for purposes of the simulation, we want to create motion. Now motion really doesn't exist because remember, consciousness is still, all we can have is a simulation of motion. Just like a movie, when we're sitting in a theater, you know, people are running around doing all sorts of things, but we know there's really not people running around. And if you understand film, just the, uh, you know, rapid succession of frames allows us to perceive motion, just like a cartoonist back in the Disney days. And, it's the, it's you know, the we have a, it's the a, a manipulation. and it's a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun the manipulation of light too. It's, I wanted to bring this up. We know we did this fantastic alpha cast last week. People really enjoyed, um, about light with, um, uh, blanking on his name right now. Uh, Dr. Um, Jacob, Jacob Lieberman, Jacob and, Lieberman. And, and wasn't he a uh, wonderful guest? Oh, love that guy. I love that man so much. And, uh, th thanks again, Jacob for coming on and he was a delight and he, they shared, he, their uh, his camp shared the the podcast and we've gotten a number of people to discovered us through his crowd and when and we uh when we first got to when i first met jacob we were both young men together he came to my clinic i was probably oh i was in my mid-30s or so so and you know kind of lost touch and then looked him up again and he was delighted you know to to hook up and that's why he came on with us and um it was just interesting seeing each other after uh 40 years you know well, you guys are uh, crushing it for sure. Uh, and it was so great seeing the meeting of the minds again. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up with the light, it was the analogy of the um, film projector. And that's just a stream of light that then, so the stream of light, what, what Walter Russell talks about, which is the still light of consciousness. It's the, you know, the Godhead, as you say, it's what we all come from. And then the movie screen, the, the image that's being projected is just kind of like using that stream of light, right? It's just creating the motion, but it's all an illusion, really. 
Um, it's a really interesting analogy when you think of sitting in a movie theater uh, and something for me as a film major and studying uh, Gestalt and and all these like these early um, theoretical guys that were looking at film and how it relates to how we see reality. It's a great analogy because it is just all motion. That is what we mm-hmm. are is all around us right now from that still white, that still light of just constant light, which is all there really is. Mm-hmm. So um, the motion, just like a movie projector in our simulation that we initiate with our consciousness through thought electrical vectors creates um, a simultaneous dual hydraulic pump system, we'll call it. And in one phase, you have the compression of data, electrical elements, that's all it is, that then is compressed down in a centripetal motion until it reaches a point where the vibrations are coarse enough, of course, to be perceived within the simulation. Now, simultaneously, you have a radiation cycle, just like rain evaporating, you know, once it hits the ground and goes into a lake, now it evaporates back, you know, it it reverses the compression to go into a solid liquid state and then evaporates back up into vapor that you might be able to see for a while, then it disappears. We don't question that that uh, steam just disappeared from the universe. And because our analytical mind has been told what's happening, we just accept it as real, even though it's supposedly invisible. So that's happening all the time with these electrical vectors that we actually put into motion through our individualized consciousness. And every simultaneously occurring um, centrifugal radiation, centripetal data compaction is creating a frame of our experience. So when you see me moving my hand across the screen, my hand isn't moving across the screen. What's happening is many frames of electrical events go by in order to create the illusion of motion. Walter Russell really elaborates on that. So let me ask you, this is just conjecture, I don't know, but say we're, we have a guest on that's a Shen master, uh, somebody of a very elevated consciousness. And elevated consciousness only means that you've debugged yourself. You've gotten rid of all the programmings, all the perceptions, the judgments, the projections, and you're just seeing things for what they are. So you see through the simulation and now you're not just an actor in the simulation, but you're the director, the editor and the producer of your own production and no longer feeling like you're at the whim of external forces that were never external in the first place. Yeah. So the, the Nazarene, let's talk about this. The, Nazar- master. <laughs> the Nazarene yeah. was the master. I mean, that's okay. why he was the son of God because he, that was the whole analogy. What he was trying to say is like, I, am have gotten there i've achieved that uh so yeah and the i am of course is a recognition of no qualification upon god i'm not an athlete i'm not a boy i'm not a girl you just i am and those aren't just two words of course i am is a 
translation of when you go into the Eastern, you know, religions and they chant Om, which is the universal intonation of the Godhead, uh, the English translation of Om is I am. So I am is just pure source. When we qualify it the way we do all day long, you know, that's why we're having this human experience. So this Shen master is, is there. And now they also know it's a movie. So uh, that master that's, you know, in your room there, he just uh, gets up and walks right through the wall. Whoa. So did he know there was a wall there? Is, uh, I, I mean, does he perceive the wall as solid? Does he perceive his body as real and solid? Or can he just be, again, just like a skilled editor and uh, the ability to focus because he's debugged himself, simply create the next frame of his movie on the other side of the wall. Yeah. Um, just like, uh, uh, um, you know, the masters within the old martial arts that could, you know, float through the air and, and do these things. And by the way, I've actually seen some amazing things myself with some of these people. Um, I haven't seen anybody flying through the air, but I was the subject of one of my old teachers that could literally tractor beam you from 20 yards away and, and pull you and, you know, you'd be on the ground clawing, you know, on the, on the carpet and everything, just trying to prevent it and laughing because it's pretty hilarious. And, uh, you know, he would just boom, drag you right to him. So when you start to see through things, that's where all of a sudden you have these supernatural powers that aren't supernatural at all. All that means is, You've come to the realization and there's no part of your belief system left that uh, understands anything other than the fact that you're sitting in a movie theater and you can get up and walk out anytime or you can sit there and enjoy the show. We think we're in the movie. We think we are the movie. So it makes it kind of tough and old habits die hard and they even die harder because, you know, all of these programmings that we get, they get encoded into our nervous system. And our nerves actually morphologically change in size, shape, and function to accommodate those belief systems so that certain uh, chemical events happen at the synapses that will just have our body react in certain ways. So, you know, it's, it's an arduous task, but not insurmountable to extract yourself from the matrix. But if any of us think we're going to read a few metaphysical books and, you know, do some chantings or... <laughs> or, you know, whatever you think, uh, you know, you have to put some effort into it, but the process, there's no place to go, of course, because we already are endowed with all of these abilities. And the process is just a, a baby step realization that um, the only thing that's preventing us from doing those things is ourselves. Okay, so uh, back to Walter Russell. When we're talking about that frame by frame experience, we're talking about the music component of the quadrivium mm. do you agree yes i'm just making this up on the fly based on what i know about the quadrivium and based what i know on uh you know walter russell being a student of his for a long time and then also what i experience in my own practice when i'm working with bodies and using uh tools and modalities that allow you to perceive into many levels of you know reality which which is 
actually the step down holographically of electrical forces through the layers of reality, which brings us to the fourth pillar of the quadrivium, quadrivium which is astronomy. astronomy, as above, so below. So as those vectors come top down, that's the only way they can go. Of course, we do have the ability to reflex back up on the ground and then maintain a certain level of reality. But when we understand that everything comes from top down, there's no other way we could even be here or have a thought in our head unless that was so. Um, astronomy is realizing the larger patterns, their origin, and understanding also in our simulation, things go through different electronic levels. Yes. Um, you know, somebody called me out the other, oh, actually one of our guests, you know, I threw out some terms, Lucy, like electromagnetic and electronics. She goes, well, what do you mean by that? Because she had a real firm idea about what each of those terms mean. But to me, I use them loosely and interchangeably because none of those terminologies actually work when you understand the physics behind things. So forgive me audience, if I just use a lot of, you know, electromagnetic, electronic, electrical, you know, interchangeably, because what we're talking about is those electrical vectors from consciousness, as we step them down into the human experience, you're gonna go through very spiritual levels. That's another topic. There are multiple levels of that. Uh, you know, we could talk about our causal body where that happens. And then we go into the next level, which is a mental plane. And that's a distinct level of electrical vector that's of a very fine substance. The next level down getting a little bit more uh, coarse in its vibratory qualities, the further down you go, that would be what some people call the astral or uh, you know, I just think of as the emotional level. And again, that's what actually brings that mental plane into life in the first place you know try starting a business with an idea and you just sit around and you really don't have any passion behind it and you expect things just to happen ain't gonna happen you know we're on the ground for a reason to focus our intent and actually again put some elbow grease behind it and become passionate because that's how you create your own simulation and then of course in the emotional plane it becomes the job of purging ourselves of those toxic emotions that we've all been, you know, programmed to react to. And we see a lot of that these days because that is going to keep us in a vicious circle of manifesting all the things we don't want, the things we're afraid of. Now, the next level below that is etheric, you know, it's just next level of electronics. And that level, of course, is what we would think of as chi and prana. And then that translates into uh, a communication with our meridians, which are the, you know, the, the circuitry that communicates with our so-called physical self selves, which is just, you know, the biological electrical level is just another level of coarseness step down. Would you, would you, and, would, you uh, and, uh, would those be the chakras too? Well, that's a different, let, let's uh, talk okay. about that in two seconds. Okay, sorry. The, um, the, the meridians are really that conduit for the etheric to communicate with neurology, which mm -hmm. are the more coarse electrical currents. Now the chakra 
chakras are regulation centers. And, you know, those are misunderstood too. In a lot of work, they say, oh, you're such and such chakras shut down. Well, chakras are like, um, uh, I can't think of anything clever offhand, but what they do is they activate and open when that level of um, deciphering is necessary. Or if those particular organ systems uh, that are associated with those chakras, you know, need to be more active for any particular purpose. So they're opening and shutting all the time, like but it's true. Like, uh, portals? Like portals. Yeah, you could think of it that way. And of course, the meridian systems, as well as the neurological interface, communicate very intimately with these centers so that there's a back and forth communication and everybody's on the same page for the needs at the moment or whatever you need to experience. Um, it's very true that if we entertain toxic emotions and we're in a reality where we believe that we are physical beings trying to pleasure ourselves with units of time doing certain things as a distraction and uh you know in what most people consider that's what life is all about then uh there will be an impedance of maybe those other chakras starting with your heart your throat and you know pineal then crown and so forth and then your chakras ab above the crown by the way and um it's like anything else if you don't use them you know, they will be an impediment to the normal flow up and down in a balanced fashion of that energy through the central column. Mm -hmm. And then of course, uh, you know, in, in medicine, you can actually uh, manipulate those through, you know, there's a certain kind of acupuncture that I favor that um, really correlates heavy with neurology and you get more instant results. And, you know, we can talk about that sort of thing sometime. So yeah, all of these things are uh, understood with the four pillars of the quadrivium. And to me, it, it only makes sense when I take it into a level of pure physics. And, you know, when you get into more of the alchemical studies, they're talking about the same thing. They might just use different terminology, but if I'm in my lab, and setting up lab equipment to actually mimic these processes verbatim and then going beyond that and linking my own awareness with the process not pretending that that's external to me and you know dealing with making sure that my electronic terrain is pure and intense and we take great measures um, in certain ways you know with radiation things to make sure not only the space, but your own energy field is clear. And if not, there's ways to discern that and also take care of it. And then you link up your consciousness with the lab where, you know, the glassware that you're using for any kind of distillation process or reflux process or, you know, whatever you're trying to do in a lab. And uh, now you have a seamless operation where you are, you know, a true scientist and the real quadrivium allows you to tune in on those levels. More importantly, for just most people that don't care to be a chemist or some such thing, 
you are understanding that your entire experience is a laboratory experiment. And when you set up your, uh, your entire experience to mimic those normal alchemical processes, what you're doing is, yeah, you're kind of playing a game of understanding the parts and how they interconnect, but there comes that day where you, uh, you know, undergo a certain level of purification as the alchemists would talk about, and then you unify in an elevated whole. And that's when the magic that you speak of really starts to happen because you're seeing right through the simulation. That doesn't mean you have to be a Shen master and walk through walls or that sort of thing, but you're just looking at things in a different way. Light bulbs are coming on all day long and you realize it's a really fun experience. It's an adventure. There's nowhere to get to. You're just happy being in the process and you know, you'll be wherever you're supposed to be, but you are more than just a participant you're the active director of your experience. So that's the quadrivium, uh, according to Walter. So he's uh, mm -hmm. telling me through my uh, other ear here. That's great. And when you take the trivium and the quadrivium, you get seven, three and four, which is the seven chakras, seven steps of mm -hmm. Jacob. I mean, we know seven is like an extremely sacred magical number. Which, which is interesting. I was just thinking that with the seven chakras, but we know there's even more than seven chakras. Um, but, you know, when we talk about the, also the idea of astronomy as the fourth part of the quadrivium and how that's the, as above, so below the greater forces at play, I think even the quadrivium maybe doesn't take this into fact that, and it's something you, you mentioned Steiner. Um, Steiner talks about how, human consciousness itself is affected by these greater forces at play. And he says like during the golden age of classicism, when Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, um, Ptolemy, uh, uh, the uh, Pythagoreans were around, they were able to come up with this amazing knowledge because their consciousness literally was vibrating at a different place than we are today as humanity. And that has to do with the, you know, astronomy, astronomy and like the greater forces of play as us as a macro consciousness are evolving and it's interesting to think that me with these cycles that walter russell talks about we're kind of now entering that again uh so maybe this is the the most important topic to talk about because we can take the trivium quadrivium to a whole new level of understanding because of not only with our evolution of where we're taking it today with just you and I, the way we're talking about it, but because as humanity itself and, and not just humanity, but the entire cosmos is going to a next level. Um, these are things that I think need to be explored more. Absolutely. Um, we'll get into logical fallacies and take ourselves back into more of the mundane aspects of the trivium quadrivium in a second. One more thing I'd like to just elaborate if I can on the Trinity, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's go back to where those thought vectors come from consciousness. So let's make believe we have a, a pendulum that's swinging back and forth. Now the pendulum is hanging from a fulcrum. We'll call that the Godhead, the father, whatever you want to call it. 
And then as it swings back and forth, we have the, you know, what we, you and I learned in Catholicism as the son and the Holy spirit, you know, we could have a really fun discussion about that. Oh yeah. And by the way, um, Marty Leeds is uh, masterful at deciphering this. So I encourage anybody to go there um, and listen to his talks on him. Excuse me. <clears throat> so now what you have is, you know, thought coming from the Godhead, it polarizes and swings back and forth. <clears throat> and that's where we find ourselves now. We're swinging back and forth between the polarities. That's why we see the world in the state it's in where people are favoring one side, you know, in one moment and so forth. And it's a never ending cycle. If you take vortex mathematics and how that understanding allows you to understand, uh, to see how in the Enneagram, you know, there's kind of a nine pointed star and they understand the same thing. And, you know, and you can watch it unfold through this vortex mathematics explanation, but here's the thing to take away. Um, you have three points and that's the Trinity. And if I just go into more the physics of the Trinity, not time, not trying to, um, you know, bastardize what that means on a deeper spiritual level, but we're just talking about the translation of electrical forces. So that Trinity creates the three main points on the Enneagram or on that mathematical vortex unfolding of the nine pointed star. And then as that goes back and forth, that creates the wings of the nine pointed star, you know, the other six points. And let's remember, let's go back into that cube that we're standing in where we're a three dimensional stick figure, which represents our consciousness entering the simulation. And then we have the, you know, the six wings represented by the cubes that reflect the light. Um, maybe we should elaborate on that. Imagine you have a box, a square, and you have a beach ball, and you blow up the beach ball, uh, you know, within that cube, it's going to naturally stop when it hits, you know, the six sides, and you're going to have a sphere. That's what the electrical forces do when they enter that sphere and then you get to be again the director editor and producer of your own movie within that little simulation that starts with the geometric cube and the formation of a sphere by putting electrical forces you know that have to conform within that geometric construct and this is real and you have to go a little bit deeper to, to understand why you know we are a product of waveforms that are bending or refracting through geometric forms and then there's other geometric forms that are produced that are greatly nuanced in ways having to do with those other factors that we in you know put into motion ourselves to the simulation so and those are uh, all back to and, the, and those are all part of the universal law or, or uh, structure that we're all in that's why uh, was it solipsism or whatever, where the idea that we all just create our own reality, it's all just chaos, chaos theory and stuff is, isn't foundational in terms of this idea that there is a structured universal logic and geometry to our reality. Yes, we are the divine creators within that framework, but we all are playing by those rules. Right. Yeah. So with the Enneagram and the nine point star, it all starts with the Trinity, just like anything else. And I only bring up the Enneagram not to get in that because it's a huge subject, but it's that 
polarization of electrical forces. So it creates the trinity. And then the way we nuance things through our own selves creates the other nine points of the star. And in the system of the Enneagram, it's a handy way of uh, discerning character fixations. For instance, Michael, you and I might be exposed to the same experience and uh, I might react with anger and you might react with fear. And it's just that depending on our own asymmetries that we create through our imbalances of thought and emotion and so forth, uh, different people will get a little bit of a different, you know, more of an intense rub on one of those nine pointed areas, which is going to uh, create more of a reactionary tendency of a certain way unique to you versus me. And then it gets a lot more elaborate beyond that, but that's the basics of it. But really, even though we're talking about emotions and Gurdjieff brought that to the Western world, we're talking about electrical forces because there's nothing else in the universe. There's nothing else in the universe, but consciousness. And therefore consciousness is the only thing that can possible put those things into motion in the first place. So that's, that's the quadrivium. And the astronomical part is of course, understanding how those original forces step down holographically and manifest, even though the appearances might seem different uh, it's all the same forces manifesting, uh, you know, in the appropriate way that it's, they're able to on a particular level of experience all the way down to in, in our physical selves here and our, you know, our entire reality as we think of it, which uh, create everything we see and think is real. So this is probably getting a little bit too gobbledygooky for a lot of people out there. So let's, uh, let's ground this in with classical uh, more mundane trivium, quadrivium, because the real purpose of this is to be able to, as we said, have your own BS meter. And that's very critical today because everybody's lying to us <laughs> and everybody's lying because they have a vested interest of their own, a reason for lying. So when we, at least on a rudimentary level, have a, a systemic way of gathering information, analyzing it ourselves, and then sharing that with other people that really helps us be less vulnerable to what the would-be controllers are trying to do to the, uh, the sea of humanity at this particular time to our peril. So Michael, um, let's just take an example from our experience, you know, about 20 years ago when you and I first met, do you remember the first book I recommended you to read? Creature from Jekyll Island. There you go. So all these years later, I know, because we've had many discussions together, we understand why that book is so critical to what's happening in the world today. Now, if a, a more sizable part of our population had read that book, we wouldn't have the problems we have today, at least on a societal cultural level, because everything goes back and explained brilliantly in that book. It tells you places, people, events, all well-documented, no conjecture, that led to the formation of the Federal Reserve Banking System. And if we all understood, do you want to hold up the book? Always keep this 
very close. <laughs> this is a uh, a must own and actually a really fun read too. It's not like just all yeah. economics. It's got a good story in it. And don't be daunted by the size of it because every chapter has a summary at the end. So if you don't have time to read 500 pages in a few uh, sittings, you could read the cliff notes at the end of every uh, uh, chapter and, and get more than, you know, what he's trying to convey there. And when you do that. And, and the, the he gonna... is G. Edward Griffin. Uh, uh, G. Edward ah, Griffin, uh, people are asking the author, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, Jekyll Island being the place where uh, the banksters <clears throat> secretly met to develop the what is now known as the Fed and income tax and all that good stuff. So uh, that's G. W. or G. E. Griffin uh, and the creature from Jekyll Island. Go ahead, Bear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that book came into my hands because I was part of a group that did uh, offshore seminars to sizable audiences in the thousands back in the you know early 90s on. And we had uh, G. Edward Griffin as a feature speaker, you know, every time we usually had about two a year. And, you know, a lot of other great speakers, uh, David Icke and Ron Paul and you know all sorts of notables. So this was you know way before internet, of course. Um, so the creature from Jekyll Island, of course, if people had that information, and the book is a, a great uh, just an illustration of classical logic because first they just give you data, and then when you get to know the characters in the events, you very quickly connect the dots and understand what these people were up to and why they're up to it. And then you can, of course, the third rung, share that information so that we're all aware that, wow, we're all getting played. And all these things that are pulling our chains these days, you know, media, uh, quasi-government, um, you know, and so forth, they're all working in concert, of course, of course, to divide us so that we fight amongst each other so that we never get together and say, wow, we have a common adversary. It's not about racial equality. It's not about genders. It's not about all of these distractions. In fact, these people are actually making this stuff up or using real events to elaborate on things that were long past because, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, all the things that are all of a sudden of major concern. I don't experience in my own life. I don't meet people with all these, you know, horrible characteristics that we're, you know, led to believe are running rampant as terrorists in our own culture. And, uh, you know, you, you see through the ruse and you would realize, well, why on earth would we have a central banking system that made a deal with corrupt politicians in Congress in 1913 to take over um, not the printing of our money, because our treasury would do that, but create a contractual agreement where that money that we print at our own expense, now we uh, give to them at a certain, I think at one time was $18 for a certain amount of like 100 bills, no matter what the face value. And then we buy it back from them at full face value with interest. So if people understood how that system worked with classical logic, you'd say, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we just, why do we have this middleman 
that's, uh, you know, siphoning off, you know, all the productivity in the country, uh, you know, in between and maybe between 1913, you know, uh, and now the reason why a dollar used to be worth a dollar and why my dad could build a house in the 50s where this system was already screwing us, but he could still build a house for $19,000 in a very you know, esteemed area. And now that same house is worth $2 million. Of course, it's the worst tax of all. It's called inflation. But this is about just being able to get information and then really analyze it. And you quickly come to the conclusion that, you know, this guy over here that the media is saying is my enemy or that the media is saying is hating on me. And then we actually follow through with actual hatred because we're so misinformed. We just point the finger, all of us, you know, unanimously at the real cause of our problems. We kick the SOBs out. We go back to our original system. You know, a lot of people say, well, the, the Constitution is, a, you know, a, a document that's archaic and we need to do better. Well, no, it's not that the Constitution doesn't work. It's just we haven't followed it in a long time. And it's really a cool thing. And it actually follows the precepts of natural law. So the creature from Jekyll Island is a great treatise in classical logic that if we all shared it together, we wouldn't be in the societal pre uh, uh, predicament that we're in now. We'd have a cohesiveness. We'd have a true tolerance, which is allowing individuality without attacking each other if they didn't conform to group thought. We wouldn't have censorship. You and I, Michael, wouldn't be prohibited from posting this video on YouTube today. You know, it would be a completely different world. So the way they get us. Um, into this kind of adversarial groupthink is through the art form of fallacy, logical fallacy. So this is where maybe we come back full circle into what we're supposed to be talking about today, which is trivium quadrivium and the ability to see through fallacy. So let's, um, let's go through a list of them. <laughs> and then maybe you can tell me if you see any of these at work today or and maybe together we can think up of some ideas. I see that we've been talking for a long time already. Sorry, folks. Um, so so let's just breeze through these. Uh, the first one, the most common is ad hominem. That means if you uh, are exposed to information that you do not uh, want to agree with or want other people to receive or be receptive to, you attack the messenger. And you know, you might say, well, why do you believe that guy's mother wears army boots? Mm -hmm. And um, that's all we see today is attack, 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 discredit the messenger. That's called ad hominem attacks. And that's the first thing you learn in uh, classical logic. So folks, if you, you know, no matter which side of the ideology, you know, that you, you know, find yourself on or relate to, start to be able to see through this. If somebody is attacking some information by attacking the messenger right off, you know, that's BS right off. Any comments, Mike? No, I just, you see this, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, some of these debates that, um, we, especially like 2014, 15, 16, um, with the good old Young Turks, uh, what's his name, Bubba Fett, dude. Um, 
he's a master of the ad hominem attack when he's really gets put in a corner. Uh, Chank Junk Yungar or yeah. whatever his name yeah. is. Yeah. Um, he, that's like his go-to little tactic, which always drove me crazy when I was watching those debates with like Jordan Peterson, or I think he debated Jordan Peterson, or you know he would usually debate like a conservative, more conservative-minded thinker, and it would always come to that. And he would always go to hit the crowd and get them all riled up with emotion. I'm like, stick to the facts, stick to the theoretical concepts you're supposed to be talking about. And that's really what the mainstream corporatized controllers mostly do now is the ad hominem. Uh, that's why the mm -hmm. CAA came up with the conspiracy theorist, um, you know, blanketed target concept of anybody who counters their mainstream narrative. Uh, it's an ad hominem attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another common tactic is when you um, are hearing something that you have uh, an interest in discrediting, you greatly exaggerate or appeal to people's pity, uh, you know, relative to what the original information is. Um, you know, for instance, uh, if you don't want to go to your local pound and adopt an elephant and bring it home and have it as a pet, then you hate elephants. <laughs> kind of a stupid example. Maybe can you think of anything better? Oh, I mean, there's, there's a million of them. I mean, think about yeah. um, what's going on right now with the whole COVID thing, right? It's like, I mean, <laughs> it's a classic right now with that. Um, I mean, a, a few come to mind, but yeah, um, I think that one's a no-brainer. Yeah. So not too long ago, I was sitting in my living room. And um, keep in mind, folks, I'm a political atheist. I believe certain people in political office are infinitely more detrimental to our health than some. But it's still the whole system's a fallacy. Because, you know, we're going to get to a, another fallacy called the straw man. And our government now is a straw man for what we think of and still believe to be a constitutional republic. It's not even our government anymore. So we'll get to that in a minute. But as I was sitting there with talking to my uh, sister-in-law and I never, I always refrain from political discussions, but she was making comments like orange man bad. And, uh, you know, and one of the comments was, well, he's a racist. And I just, you know, I just finally had opened my mouth. I said, so how do you know that? Everybody knows he's a racist. So this is what you call, Lucy will call it the bandwagon uh, fallacy. Mm -hmm. And how many people revert to that? Well, everybody knows that. Um, very common. Well, it's, it's the germ theory thing, too. It's like, well, everybody knows you get sick uh, in the winter from, um, you know, when it gets cold and people are sneezing more and passing the bugs around. That's just common sense. Like, well, and then I'll say, well, you know, germ theory is just a theory. And they say, well, no, but it's it's uh, the consensus of science now. Everybody knows it's real. I mean, that is what the cult of scientism uses. Right. They use this fallacy mm -hmm. every day. Well, all this, why, and then they, how would it be uh, yeah. wrong if all these scientists know about it? <laughs> and then they very deftly link up an emotion like fear with junk science 
And then, so of course, people just have that, that emotional dissonance so that they get triggered and forget about it. I mean, you can't even talk to them at that point. And there's, you know, I would advise just walk away. Don't say, you know, save your breath. It's a waste of time. So that's the, the bandwagon one. Um, what else could we talk about? There's uh, kind of this how do we describe it? Kind of like a catch 22 circular logic. Um, let's just say, well, how do you know that to be true? Well, this expert or this book says it. So there's a presumption that we agree that that's the source of all truth. And yeah. the only argument people have is, well, it's in this book or so-and-so says it. So Jeremy, this there, doctor, it's, it's the COVID thing again. Yeah. It's uh, and this will get us kicked off YouTube again, um, but uh, I don't care. Um, but it's the whole thing. Well, like, well, my whole family got sick. They all had it. You know, when someone's when I'll, I don't even bother with normies anymore. But I say, well, how do you know this COVID thing is real? How do you know it's just not? Uh, de seasonal detox that they're reclassifying. How do you know it's not just the mainstream media and the politicians and this corporatization of fact, just using a specific lens to uh, focus all of these different types of detoxifications that humans go through and classifying as a single thing like they did with AIDS and creating a new lexicon, a new new language around it and just reclassifying what already exists as this. Well, because my whole family got it. And I, I know that, um, you know, why would they all just suddenly get this thing where they can't smell and they have these certain symptoms? Well, did you go ask each one what they've gone through? Have you? No, of course. They just throw that general catch-22 circular argument around. Well, it has to exist because I know this person got it. And I know this person got it. And I know, well, why is the, why is the whole world talking about it? It must be true. So it that's actually what we're witnessing is the the coagulation, the, the, the bringing all of these logical fallacies into one beautiful entity <laughs> right yeah. now. And of course, uh, of course, it couldn't have anything to do with the noxious uh, vertical oriented microwaves that are, uh, by the way, military weapon grade, uh, unbeknownst to most people putting the freaking phone to your ear all the time. And, uh, you know, that purposely, uh, interfere with normal physiology, uh, modify our behavior and produce the exact symptoms that are attributed to, you know, the cornholia, uh, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, that's another one. Um, how about, um, just sweeping generalizations mm -hmm. like all green people are racist. Yeah. Any other examples come to mind? Um, all men are part of the controlling paradigm. They're all uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, another good one is the false dilemma fallacy. Let's uh, go back to George W. Bush, um, you know, after 911. You're either with us or you're a terrorist. Yeah. You know, sorry, folks, you're one or the other. Yep. No in between. So that's a false dilemma. Hmm. Yeah. Very um, often used. What other ones? You got um, anything else? These are good. Post hoc. Oh, yes. Explain that again. Um, 
So-and-so had an accident. And right before he had the accident, a black cat crossed his path. Therefore, black cats cause accidents. So um, same idea with germ theory once again. Um, we saw this bacteria here at this point of infection or whatnot. So it's the infection that caused the illness. Perfect. Yeah. How about the uh, the good old fashioned non sequitur? Ah, oh, yes. uh, how would we? What's a good example? Um, chickens have bones. People have bones. Therefore, people are chickens. <laughs> so you come to a conclusion that somehow is linked to the premise, even though it doesn't make any sense. I don't know if I'm explaining that good, but you get the idea. Yeah. I do remember that from my logic class at college. And then you have, uh, let's throw out a couple more. How about the old red herring? <laughs> uh, you know, the, um, you know the, uh, the new press secretary is masterful at the red herring. And she's uh, redheaded She's asked too. a question about something. <laughs> and then she answered it with a totally unrelated whatever, you know, to, you know, obviously distract you from what the question is. And you see even these uh, retards within the press corps that are sitting there just going, what? <laughs> you know? And uh, of course, they, they give her a pass because, uh, you know, questioning. You know, anyway, okay. Well, let, let, let's, let's circle back there. Let's circle back to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> somebody had a great little collage video where all the time she says, let's circle back. And there's about a million of them in a row. It's pretty hilarious. We'll circle back to that. Um, yeah. Now, here's my favorite. And I think it's what we're all most, I'll speak for myself, this annoys me more than anything because I've experienced it my entire professional life and that's called gaslighting. Mm -hmm. So you can be holding evidence of whatever right in your hands or looking at something with your own eyes and they're saying, you don't see that, that doesn't exist. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh... and uh, how often do we see that at play? Gaslighting, I think, is one of the the only things they have left is just to say, no, that's not happening, even though you're sitting there experiencing it. Well, that is the um, so this, they, they set that foundation, too, with the postmodern theory that's shoved down everyone's mm -hmm. throat from uh, in universities now where we we talked about this at the beginning. Um, and uh, the idea of uh, solipsism, right, where um, your your reality, what you're seeing is your own reality in your own world. But we don't mm -hmm. see that because we have our own reality. It's this very it's sinful in a way. It's just like force forcing this into into the youth's minds that there is no standardized reality. It's just you make it up as you go. And I'll say that doesn't exist. And this comes down to the core, I think, um, uh, the core experience of humanity, why we're here, we're here to be free. We're here to want to experience this realm as free, liberated souls to have our own experiences and to enjoy our life and be happy, I would hope, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. unless you're, you, I don't think you want to be suffering, but I think the scary, the scariest thing to me right now in this current situation with the pandemic and and with um, neoliberalism and postmodern think and uh, the, the the destruction of truth is that people are being tricked into thinking that they should be suffering 
that it's that that's their duty to suffer for the greater ethics, which we know ethics is not based in morality. Ethics is um, is actually a, a very slippery slope because it's based on politics and based on um, uh, propaganda and rhetoric. And we now have a whole population that thinks we should be suffering. Why should wear the mask? Um, I should eat bugs. I should be cold during the winter because if I turn my heat on, that's global warming, blah, 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 blah. We should be suffering. And that to me is frightening. Yeah. And it goes back to one of the, the fallacies we already discussed is you don't care about people if you use your heater or eat certain kinds of food. And yeah. Um, so the last one, um, by the way, you know, gaslighting is an accepted, well-known tactic of mental torture that people do to their captives historically. So if you've gone through extensive experience or in the trivium method of data collection analysis, and you come to a pretty reasonable assumption that, well, this is kind of what I see and experience out here. And then someone just um, discredits that, you know, it's, uh, well, it's, it, 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 it's, it, it's annoying, but it now at the point we're at the point of torture. Well, it reminds because, me of, uh, Orwell's 1984 when he's saying, mm -hmm. no, what is your reality? Are you, you know, and he keeps, they, they're torturing him and saying no until he literally, and I'm forgetting the names right now. I haven't read the book in decades, but in a long time, but you, you everyone knows the story, right? It's the foot stomping on humanity forever. But the idea is that, um, he's like, no, I am my own person. They're like, no, you're not. You don't have your own thoughts. You think what the state thinks and that's gaslighting to like, that is institutionalized gaslighting that we're seeing right now. It's like, no, you're not allowed to think for yourself, but yes, I am. I swear I am. I can't. Nope. You can't until their, their goal is so that you say, oh, you're right. And then you lose your sovereignty. You lose your humanity. Yep. So Michael, let's finish it off with the, with the final one, which is the straw man. I already mentioned it. And of course, uh, right now we see the granddaddy of all straw men, which is uh, an edifice of, uh, of a government that is uh, distracting us from our true government. And so we're interfacing with this fiction rather than a true representative government that is really um, uh, constantly meeting the needs of what we tell this government to do through our representation. And it gets even more insidious, the straw man, if you just want real life examples, you're born, certificate of live birth, which is issued at your birth, which is simply the details of your birth, so many pounds, location, time, and so forth. And now three days later, and again, that three comes in. And if you don't think these people behind all this aren't operating in what you know what you term a cult all the time you know taking real scientific spiritual principles and inverting them they wait three days for a real good reason to now issue you your birth certificate which of course is a play on words we're not talking about birth through the birth canal we're talking about the birthing of cargo at a port and when our unsuspecting parents don't do the necessary paperwork because they were never told that they're supposed to, you know, 
um, capture or claim their cargo, which is their own children, then their children are forever lost at sea. And the children now have the straw man piece of paper, all capital letters, that then throughout life, we are taught that, oh, that is actually you. Because when you get a letter from the IRS, it's in your name. Of course, they're talking to you. You don't realize that is a legal fiction construct. And then you say, well, since you're addressing this to me, and of course, everybody knows they have authority over me, I have to do what I'm told or go to jail. And so we're operating in a complete straw man fiction from day one. And I would argue, uh, final comments, that unless we start off with the more mundane levels of the quadrivium trivium, but then quickly go to trivium quadrivium 2.0, we'll call it, just like bioterrain medicine 2.0, then we're really not gonna get to that place that'll bring us true and lasting freedom, which is to understand that we are the individualized, uh, we're indivi individualized consciousness at our coordinate in the universe and there is only one authority there, and that is us, because we are endowed with, uh, with the freedom to create at that coordinate, nobody else, nobody can come tell us what to do. And the only entity above that, that we truly answer to, and that has true authority over us is spirit, God, Yahweh, doesn't matter what you call it, all the same thing. Yep. So we could sum up everything. You know, we we termed this in our newsletter as the fog of war, you know, to in order to introduce this topic for the podcast today. So um we're really truly in a spiritual battle because that's where you know we've painted ourselves into a corner. And it's maybe not a bad corner to be in because we only have one last place to go. And I guess my kind of ambivalence with the trivium quadrivium today is that, yeah, it's useful, but don't stay on the same plateau with it. Like any tool, become more masterful with that tool so that you can quickly move into 2.0 because 2.0 is where we need to be today in order to regain our sovereignty. Michael, Amen. I don't think I have anything else to say today. How about you? I think we covered it. Um, going to the pract practical again of the trivium quadrivium, like if you have kids and you're homeschooling, while we are looking to go beyond, there are some great classical literature works too that of authors who understood this that kids can get into, like um, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, L. Frank Baum. I mean, talk about someone who was tapped in on the Oz series. I just got my uh, nine-year-old all the Oz books for Christmas. Um, and he talks about the straw man, the wizard uh, in uh, the scarecrow, right? That's the straw man. If I only had a brain, <laughs> like, and like, uh, and then of course the tin man with the heart and the courage. I mean, there's so much morality play in that, but also like crazy truth in those books um, through all through. Well, he was, uh, 
Yeah, just a quick comment. He was talking verbatim about our commercial system. I know. Yeah. Uh, cool stuff. I always hated it when my mom put it on TV every Christmas or whatever, you know, because it was kind of more like a, a girly sort of thing. Uh, but all these years later, it's like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a trip. My kids uh, have always really liked Wizard of Oz until when they were really young. It's kind of hard to get them to watch it now because they're in. They want to watch like Avengers or something instead. Um, but uh, I I look forward to the day when we put on Pink Floyd at the Third Roar and do that. I don't oh. know if you've ever done the synced up Pink Floyd uh, Dark Side of the Moon to to Wizard of Oz film, but. Um, uh, Pink Floyd is uh, <laughs> to this day. Pink Floyd is is the one group that I still listen to continuously. Uh, love those guys. Um, yeah. Oh, top They're five. Awesome. They're in my top five bands yeah. of all time for sure. Yeah. Well, I think um, yeah. So um, great. There are great children's literature out there that you can integrate into uh, your home classroom as well as the great works of classicism like the Iliad and Homer, you know, and uh, the Odyssey and uh, a lot of the, we didn't even get into that whole aspect of classicism, the actual literature side, which is using the grammar and using everything to tell the narrative through the rhetoric, et cetera, of truth. And then you've got all the greats that go all the way through the middle ages uh, to like Beowulf, right? Uh, and to Tolkien. I think Tolkien is, was, really tapped in um and i I'm reading you think yeah um so anyways there are um there's so many cool things that we can do for our kids that integrate this in a in a, in a informative but also very edu um uh, you know entertaining way uh but yeah going to the next level so important and we'll continue to do that with alpha cast i hope you guys enjoyed this talk uh i know i did uh we're going to be doing more bear and i just covering these topics. We were just one of my, my younger sons kind of having a little stomach issue right now. And he bear was before the show, giving me some homeopath, homeopathic, uh, insights on stuff I should have in my, um, at home, uh, pharmacopoeia farm. And so we said, that'll be a great topic to do. We'll do an alpha cast specifically on what you should have at home. Oh, and that's another thing related to trivium quadrivium. We're allowed to say what you should, because you have the 40, 50 years of experience grounded in taking in the information, processing it, putting it out through your experience and seeing the, the, buy, the feedback where we can say you should do this. There's now a trend in this reality where you're not allowed to say you should. How dare you? How dare you say you should? So anyways, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a whole alpha cast on, on that because that's exciting to me. Like you've moving to the country, we've had to become our own doctors in many ways, which is a good thing. And we just did a, you mentioned BioTrain 2.0. We did an amazing panel for the upcoming reunion summit with you, uh, Andy Kaufman and the Biggleson bros, which I'm super excited to put out. Uh, and, and Andy is just uncompromising in this thing. Cause we're talking about like where the new medicine's going. And he's saying that basically all hospitals need to be shut down. I don't want to give away too much, but he's like, we need to be our own doctors stitching ourselves up and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I, I don't know about that, but, but having stuff like Benonite clay and, and, um, these homeopathics at your house and, and all this stuff we'll talk about, that'll be in a really uh, informative, amazing 
uh, alpha cast that I think people will really appreciate. Uh, and then we have a really exciting month ahead of us too for AlphaCast. We've got some great guests coming on this month uh, all the way into March. So um, we've got Dr. Tommy John, the Cairo, uh, who's the son of the famous baseball player coming on. I believe that's next week. And uh, we've got um, Gordon White, who's who actually is literally practicing magic and alchemy. And he's uh, he's got an amazing podcast, Rune as Rune uh, podcast um, and that uh, I am really enjoying right now. Uh, who else? We've got uh, um, Dr. Cousins coming on, which we did the um, meditation with. And uh, just, it's going to be a really great month of AlphaCast. So uh, join us for that. If you guys want to take this conversation uh, off off uh, the chat here, we've had an amazing chat actually going on today on, on DLive. Uh, join us on Telegram at t.me forward slash AlphaVedic or in Discord at AlphaVedic.com forward slash Discord. Um, go to AlphaVedic.com to join our mailing list. I think that's probably the most important thing you can do because with the way things are going with censorship, um, we'll have your contact info and can notify you when we go completely decentralized uh, on our own platform so you can know where we are at all times. Uh, like right now, people are probably wondering, why aren't they on? The people that are just on YouTube are like, what the heck? Why are Baron uh, Mike not on this week? Well, because you are just existing in that centralized platform and don't know we've actually been doing an amazing stream on DLive right now. If you were on our mailing list, you know, because we send out um, a weekly thing on what our alpha cast will be about. We send out discounts and, and alerts on new products. And speaking of products, we've had some issues with PayPal shut us down this week again because of our citrus derived CBD product, which is not cannabis derived CBD. And um, so stuff like that, we're going to have to start offering on the insider private com commercial lanes that we're developing in the co-op. So we highly recommend joining our co-op because it looks like Bear, many of our products are only going to be allowed to be privately offered off our main website for now. So go to right now. Yeah. Pay, yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, pretty soon we'll just have everything behind a firewall. And I, I like the uh, idea of a private co-op, which is, you know, kind of what we are and what we're heading more into exclusively. So I like a member only thing. It, it feels more like an intimate family. I just like the vibe better. And, uh, you know, it just gives the orcs out there, um, you know, a little bit more effort, you know, if they want to interfere with us in any way, uh, because we are adults privately contracting to just interact and do commerce with each other. And, you know, maybe on the outside, we'll just uh, be a tea company, you yeah. know, that's open to the public, you know, we're, we're growing our stuff, we have great teas and and herbal products and things. And, you know, that'll, that'll be what Alpha Vedic becomes to the outer world, the tea company, all the other cool stuff is exclusive to our membership. And also um, when I get my uh, lab completed here, we're in the process of it, then we're going to be taking our crops and really doing some amazing things, even beyond spagyrics that, uh, or just be very dramatically powerful in a lot yep. of ways. So those will be for co-op members only. We have what, six new teas or something coming out. Um, I was doing the, yeah. the new digestive bitters yesterday. I mean, that really is a medicine. These are medicines too. I mean, they're, uh, they're amazing. Uh, and uh, 
did the sleep, the new sleep one last night, uh, which was just phenomenal. So they, you know, those who haven't tried our teas, get on the immortality teas. They have our Jalgulan, which we grow here uh, biodynamically up on the Smith River off grid, but also just are amazingly flavorful. Just some of the best. Go look at the reviews on our website. All five star reviews down the line. Um, so they are legit. Thanks, everyone. Um, and yeah, haha, less advertising in the Telegram chat group. You know what? I am so over the snarky advertising stuff. Like, do we advertise? Do we do we drop commercials in the middle of this? We give all this out, all this information out, and we're just talking about our own products that we create. We don't have sponsors. We don't have, you know, and you get some snarky less advertising on Telegram. You know what? F you. I am, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> get a life, you know? So anyways, um, you know, if we don't have, we are literally losing main street as we speak. If you want to live in this mono Amazon world, go to it. You know, it's like, I got to say more power yeah, to everybody yeah. who's doing commerce and who's creating products and who is advertising their own stuff. And I will support them. Anyways, go ahead, Bear. Sorry yeah, about and, that. And yeah, and, and we push other people's products too. And my reaction is the same when we get those little snarky trolls that are probably sitting in their mom's bedroom or, you know, basement or something. Uh, my first reaction is, uh, you know, double barrel middle finger, um, you know, and, and it's like, oh, you guys are selling stuff. Yeah, we grow it. We work our asses off. We process it. We make good stuff that helps people. And we use that to finance ourselves so that we can even have a place here to sit here and talk to you. And in the future, you know, near future, you know, teach doctors good medicine. Uh, you know, Michael, you're developing things that could revolutionize the entire internet experience and give us totally freedom on that level. Uh, or, or, oh, hey, how about if we don't do that and we ask for government grants, which then dictate what we can and can't do. And then uh, next time you get a tax bill, just remember you're paying for us. Or and if you don't want to buy our stuff, hey, go buy it on Amazon that is basically putting all the mom and pops and free enterprise and everything, you know, that's good about our country, uh, you know, I mean, get a freaking life, Michael, I'm right with you. And, you know, that's where the old kind of warrior jock side of me comes uh, out in it, or the Italian side, you know, so. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, it's just I, tough. We're, we've had a yeah. frustrating week. We put It's a lot of work to run your own um, business, growing products and selling them uh, on top of doing podcasts and doing everything else. We're doing summits and stuff. And then to have PayPal shut down half our business this week and to have YouTube shut us off. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. So anyways, um, I will be on with Sayer G tomorrow at 11 a.m. on his channel from Green Med Info to talk about the Cordal Project, which I'm a co-founder of that Alpha Vedic supports. And as we see the importance of, of that. So join us, uh, join me. I'll be on there with Jason Crow, who's been on our podcast a few times, who you know, Bear, and um, with Sayer. So that'll be amazing. Catch that yeah. tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So it'll be to uh, his time. So. I'm looking... I'm looking forward to that one. That'll be a good one. And, you know, we're uh, folks, we're on a lot of other venues, you know, Michael's uh, doing a lot of podcast interviews on other people's, uh, you know, podcasts. Uh, I am, uh, I did one with pro triple seven, which will probably be released this next week uh, coming up also next week. I'll be on Patrick Timponi on one radio network. So, you know, we're getting out there and we're not trying to even put ourselves out there. We're just getting the invites. So, you know, keep your, um, keep your eyes open. And we like to go on these other interviews and support them because people are gracious enough to be our guests. So 
it's it's a wonderful community uh, that we're developing, and and I'm really glad I, you know, got into all this kicking and screaming. Yeah. Uh, you it's a lot of fun because it's it's really time to circle the wagons. Michael, love you a lot, buddy, and uh, yep. great chat today. Uh, love everybody out there. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Love you all, and we'll see you next week uh, for a special Tuesday show. With uh, we'll be on Tuesday next Tuesday. We should be back on YouTube with Dr. Tommy John. Later, guys.